We turn this morning to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Matthew 6, verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And, O God's people, say, Father, this morning we return to these familiar words with phenomenal depth and height and width of meaning for those that are kingdom citizens, for those that are born again, for those of us that name the name of Christ and have known the blessed wind of the Spirit bringing to us life from above. Help us then today to appropriate the words under study. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is an ongoing issue in the life of every believer. And we pray today for insight and clarity and instruction from thy holy word to our hearts for living. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Give us, says verse 11. Forgive us, says verse 12. There is no such thing as unconditional forgiveness. God's forgiving and forgetting is rooted in the cross of Christ, and apart from it, God cannot forgive. There is no such thing as emotional or psychological benefit in the indiscriminate releasing of others from wrongs committed against you. Forgiving unrepentant people for one's own well-being is bogus. The soul always cries for justice. Things cannot be right unless they're right. And you cannot, like some Disney movie, let it go. There is no requirement of God that you and I must extend forgiveness to others in order to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift. And fourthly, there is no biblical confirmation that sins committed in ignorance are excused from the judgment of God. Forgiveness is one of those topics where our imprecise use of words comes back to haunt us. Sloppy Christian semantics and man-centered theology 
have promoted in our generation error after error concerning God's forgiveness of our sins and the requirement to extend forgiveness to others as forgiven. Today we are working with the second daily prayer, daily prayer emphasis, found in the model King Jesus gave to the kingdom citizens. Jesus said in words with special focus upon the verb tenses found that you and I should pray, forgive us our sins even as we ourselves also are in the habit of forgiving everyone who is indebted to us. Last week, we looked at the daily prayer, give us. And today, we look at the daily prayer, forgive us. This is the only phrase in the entire model prayer that is immediately followed up with the Lord's own commentary, verses 14 and 15. Take a look at that. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are plain words of contingency. But exactly what does that mean for you? What does that exactly mean for me before God? Well, that's the question that we will answer momentarily in the preaching and understanding of the text. It will greatly help us this morning to grasp and implement uh, the forgiveness as the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it here by knowing and remembering uh, some uh, outstanding facts about the topic of forgiveness. Number one, this model prayer has a context. Fact number one, the model prayer has a context. It is part of the Messiah's manifesto. Jesus introduced the subject of prayer back in verse 5 and then said that we should not pray as hypocrites and pagans do pray. And then Jesus, of course, gives us this model telling us to use it as a guide and as a pattern. And uh, it is then that guide sense and the pattern sense that we glean uh, the best of the, uh, of the words of the prayer in application to our own souls. The first thing that we note is that the first three petitions are all Godward. They all have to do with one's relationship directly with God. The first petitions, God word, have to do with his holy or hallowed name, his kingdom as promised to come, and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then, beginning at verse 11, the model dramatically shifts to three daily matters of prayer. This is one of those sections where the smallest of words make the biggest of difference. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. These three prayer petitions, give us, forgive us, lead us not, these three prayer petitions 
all fly under the banner of daily. The ongoing necessity for food, the ongoing necessity for forgiveness, the ongoing necessity of freedom from temptation. The context here demands that we understand that the Lord here speaks of the daily kind of forgiveness every child of God needs while living on this earth. As I prayed this morning, these words introduced in my mind by way of devotional reading this week, but nonetheless have stuck with me. God has not called us as his children to live in isolation, but he is willing that we should be insulated. Isolated? No. Insulated? Yes. Isolated? No. Insulated? Yes. Insulated from the sin and death that is around us in the world, even as we live to the honor of God, seeking to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. First fact, this prayer, Matthew 6, 9-13, has a context. Second fact, the phrase in this model prayer, this phrase in the model prayer about forgiveness, uh, must harmonize with all other pertinent scriptures on the topic of forgiveness. There can be no contradiction in God's word. Amen? But, in order to get beyond the apparent contradictions in God's word, you have to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Many, many times, people, because they take a pot shot uh, uh, mentality towards the Bible, they read a little verse, they read a little verse here, they read a little verse there, and they see tremendous contrast and uh, conflicts uh, in the plain reading of the Scripture. And we know that there can be no conflict in the reading of the Scripture, ultimately. But the only way that those conflicts are settled is as we turn our hearts towards home, as we ask the Spirit of God who gave the Word to help us understand the Word, and as we pray our way to the aspect of a study process that yields for us the answers that our souls do crave. This phrase of the model prayer, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, that phrase needs to fly and harmonize within the banner of all other uh, applicable scriptures or pertinent scriptures on the topic. And then the third thing I would state as a fact is that the word forgive here, uh, as found in the text, is otherwise translated divorce and depart. The petition asks God for a divorcing of us from our sinful debts or making our current indebtedness depart. Using the word for debt, as in a financial debt or obligation, in reference to sins, is used repeatedly in the New Testament multiple times, referencing both moral and spiritual offenses. The word for sins in verses 14 and 15 in the commentary section uh, after the prayer uh, used the word trespasses 
14, trespasses, uh, 15. The word trespass, when used in reference to sin, speaks of conscious and intentional sinning. And so 14 and 15 particularly have to do with when the believer has been consciously and intentionally sinned against. That is the plain emphasis of the commentary in verses 14 and 15. Now this morning we want to begin with the types of forgiveness spoken about in Scripture because there are different types of forgiveness to be sure to be noted, and we want to make sure that we have the right type in our mind as we're working with the Lord's model prayer in his messianic manifesto. Consider, first of all, these three types of forgiveness spoken of in Holy Scripture. Two of the types that we want to mention are in relationship of a believer or an individual and God. Two of the types of forgiveness the Bible talks about are between a person and God, a person and God, a person and God. And then one of the types of forgiveness talked about are between a person and a person, a person and a person. So there's two types of forgiveness. Well, I'm going to talk about three. But as we begin, there's two major divisions in the Scripture as it relates to forgiveness, and that is forgiveness that relates between an individual and God, an individual and God, and then the Bible also addresses the idea of forgiveness as it relates to person in person or people-to-people forgiveness. With that in mind, we talk about the three types. Type number one is God's legal forgiveness. Type number two is God's family forgiveness. Type number three is people-to-people forgiveness. Again, one more time, three types. God's legal forgiveness, God's family forgiveness, God's people-to-people forgiveness. Let's talk about God's legal forgiveness. That is the foundation of our salvation. God forgives and forgets in the sense of not holding actual sin against an individual based upon their faith in the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. The righteous wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God never just forgives. God never just forgives. God never just lets it go. Never. His saving forgiveness is always rooted in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Scripture leads us to understand that the greatest problem of mankind in relationship to God is sin. The great problem is sin. The great problem is sin. The greatest problem is sin. It's not the economy. It's not crime in the inner city. It's not a loss of, uh, of dignity and, and respect. Uh, the greatest sin in relationship to God is sin. And forgiveness of sin, then, is man's greatest need. 
One of the most difficult things about ministry in the modern era is that people often see themselves as needy, and what they think they need, they seldom do. And what people actually need the most, in this day, they seldom want. And so it's difficult in these days to share the truth of Christ, which is salvation from sin, when the vast majority of people around us don't think they have a sin problem. They consider themselves to be quite okay, except they're hungry, or they're thirsty, or they need a car payment, or they need a house payment, or they need somebody to do this for them, or somebody to do that for them, or they need to go here, or they need to go there. But they fail to recognize that behind all of those things that man perceives as his need is the greatest, greatest problem of all, which is sin, making the greatest need of all salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. God has met the great need of man in Jesus Christ at the cross. That is the gospel. And we don't want to fail to preach it. God's legal forgiveness. Number two, God's family forgiveness is a thing in the life of those that have placed their faith in Christ. Those that are indeed kingdom citizens. Those legally pardoned from all their sin, past, present, and future, still must face the fact that their greatest earthly problem is sin. Now, let me make this very plain. Before I trusted Christ as my Savior, my single greatest problem was sin. And then I sought the Lord based upon the truth of the gospel of the cross of Christ who died in substitution for my sin. And on that basis, I know God's legal forgiveness. And now saved... The greatest problem in my life is sin. (laughs) The greatest problem in my life is sin. And the ongoing need is to deal with that sin as God has provided me to deal with it. We could now cite the well-known and well-worn verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every blood-bought child of God who enjoys the legal status before the throne of God as right knows that they are still not right in their own flesh. And so, as we confront the blessedness of our salvation and the nature of sin remaining within us, we recognize that we have responsibility and need to deal with that as God has provided that it be dealt with. God's family Forgiveness, type number two, under the banner of forgiveness. Type number three, people-to-people forgiveness, is the way that we are, as the Lord's people, as kingdom citizens, to deal with others. 
that way is patterned after the way that God has dealt with us. As those who are forgiven of God, we are to forgive. As those that are indeed forgiven by God, we are to forgive. Three types of forgiveness as dealt with in the scripture. Again, God's legal forgiveness, God's family forgiveness, and people-to-people forgiveness. That brings us then to the teaching of the scripture here and elsewhere about people-to-people forgiveness and our fellowship with God. Uh, The key to forgiving others as Jesus talks about it here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, the key to forgiving others is to remember how much you have been forgiven. Jesus tells a parable in an upcoming chapter of Matthew in which a person forgiven 10,000 talents. Now the word talents in biblical terms, is a uh, reference to a weight. And uh, 10,000 talents of uh, silver or gold would literally refer to an economic cost of billions in our present economy. So Jesus tells a story, a parable, in which an individual is forgiven billions. And then, after being forgiven billions, fails to extend forgiveness to another who owes him hundreds. Forgiven of billions, in the story that Jesus tells, the individual fails to forgive the one who owes him hundreds. And of course, the light uh, and the point being uh, that uh, our own Uh, sins against God that have been forgiven us, uh, put us in a place whereby we must be forgiving. We who have received of the Lord by his goodness and grace, forgiveness, uh, must be, as it were, uh, forgiving. And that's the plain statement in 6.12, and uh, it's also the expectation of the commentary in 6.12. 14 and 15, which tells us that if we do not forgive, as those that are indeed forgiven, then we suffer, as it were, disruption of our daily cleansing by the perpetuation of our sin. Or, to say it otherwise, fellowship with God is broken if we do not extend to others that which we have received. When God has given to us so much, then we are to extend to others. We talked about that under the first daily prayer, give us. If I pray, give us this day our daily bread, and God in his wisdom gives me two loaves, and I realize that my brother, my sister, my neighbor, uh, uh, lacks for bread. 
Well, then I don't have to say, oh, God in heaven, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Oh, God in heaven, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Oh, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Oh, Lord, I don't want to just do something without praying about it because if I just did something without praying about it, I mean, maybe I shouldn't give them the bread. Maybe I shouldn't give them the bread. Maybe I shouldn't give them the bread. Maybe I should give them the bread. You ever live like that? Complicating the thing to the place of, please, throw the bread to the birds. You're driving me nuts already. No. If you ask God for daily bread and he gives you two loaves and somebody around you needs one, give it to them. Don't fail to extend to others that which God has given you. Well, now, and, and, and forgive works exactly the same way as give. You have not been forgiven one loaf of bread or two loaves of bread. You have been forgiven bread upon bread, bread trucks. <laughs> You've been forgiven bread trucks. You've been forgiven the bread factory. And so, in light of the great forgiveness you have received in Jesus Christ, don't you dare fail to extend forgiveness to others. That's the logic of the text here. You've received so much by the goodness and the grace of God, you must indeed forgive. I want to mention here in the second little angle in regards to the teaching of the Scripture that Sometimes people will quote that passage in which the Lord was being nailed to the cross as evidence that forgiveness can be unconditional. Because Jesus truly did say on that day of record, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I remind you that Jesus did not say that of Pilate or of Judas or of the Sanhedrin, but he said that of the soldiers carrying out their duty. Yet even in that, we are not led to think in that passage that they were excused, the soldiers were excused from personal faith in order to be saved. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, recognized that many of the Jewish people and the Gentiles that were visiting and conducting business in the city on that particular uh, uh, weekend of record uh, at the time of crucifixion, many of them were ignorant. They didn't have a clue of what was going on. They were unknowing of the truth of Christ. And yet Peter, when preaching to those very people on the day of Pentecost, still called upon them to repent and to exercise faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, the Bible is clear as to its teaching on forgiveness. There is no uh, mud here. There's no muddling here. It's just crisp and clear uh, when you see it in the scriptures and the Spirit of God writes it upon the tablet of your heart. People get confused, again, by, by, by uh, picking apart the scriptures and pulling things in conflict one uh, with the other. Uh, that is not to be done, to be sure. And by the way, uh, there is, according to the Bible, 
uh, there is a way to handle injustices committed against you and to find the sweet release of your soul's demand. And you do not handle injustices against you and you will not experience the sweet release of your soul's demand by falsely forgiving an unrepentant violator. You cannot forgive an unrepentant violator any more than God can forgive an unrepentant violator. But you can follow the model of the Lord Jesus who, quote, committed the keeping of his soul to him, capital H, that judges righteously. 1 Peter 2.23. If I were to preach a message and employ Disney's movie, Let It Go, or that's at least the song of the movie, Let It Go. I think the movie's frozen, and many people are frozen. But nonetheless, if I were to preach a message on Let It Go, it would not be a message on forgiveness. If I were to preach a message, let it go, it would be a message directed only to God's people about the phenomenal opportunity they have to give every single hurt, every single harm, every single difficulty, every single ounce of suffering to God the Father. And say, Father, I know you're faithful and I know what you're doing and I know that you, what you're up to in my life and I don't like this, but I'm giving it back to you so that I can stand before you and endure, as it were, in faith and hope and love. And the Bible tells us that in that sense, every blood-bought believer has the ability to let it go to God. You don't have to hang on to the hurt and the, and the problems uh, that have plagued your life over the course of your earthly existence. You don't have to. You can give it to God. You can give it to God. You can roll that burden on the Lord. He has promised to take it. But don't muddle that truth of your opportunity to release your soul to God's all-wise care and ability to work all things together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Don't muddle that truth by introducing the biblical subject of forgiveness and uh, convoluting the idea of a believer's ability to commit their soul to God in a time of difficulty, as did the Lord Jesus when heading towards the cross with the idea of forgiveness. Don't do it. Forgiveness in Scripture is a matter of obedience. Forgiveness in Scripture is never a psychological trick to make a bad earthly experience palatable. Very important to know that. Very important to know that. And then the last thing in this uh, context of, uh, of, of the whole teaching element of things, uh, I, I want to uh, make it clear that Jesus taught uh, the conditions of, uh, of people-to-people forgiveness in Luke 17, 1-4. to 
that if you want to talk about how you go about people-to-people forgiveness, uh, you're not going to find that here in the model prayer, but you will find it in Luke 17, 1-4. Let's just quickly turn there and look at this a little bit because this is important instruction for us concerning uh, the conditions of people-to-people forgiveness as recorded in Luke 17, 1-4. Then said he, capital H, Jesus, unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Those are phenomenal statements in themselves. Jesus said, you cannot live in this world without the perpetuation of sinful offense. That said, it doesn't matter how those sinful offenses come to be or for whom, through whom uh, they do come. Verse 2, it were better for him, the person through whom the sinful offense came, better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. In the context, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking about their influence upon other people in his name and for his sake. And he says in a very, very clear way uh, that the person through whom sinful offense comes, it'd be better for him to be hanged or, or thrown out uh, to water with, a, with uh, cement bricks around his neck uh, than it would be uh, to offend somebody else and be a, a deterrent Uh, spiritually speaking, to somebody else, especially one that was tender and young of age, a young follower, as it were. Verse 3, Jesus said, take heed to yourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. Call yourself up before the mirror of the word of God. Watch now. If thy brother trespass against thee, Interesting word, trespass. Same word found, Matthew 6, 14, Matthew 6, 15. Trespass. The word indicates an intentional, conscious sin against you. Listen, if somebody uh, bugs you, bothers you, offends you, uh, and they are uh, unknowing of the aspect that they've done it, uh, you certainly shouldn't turn that into a federal offense. But the Lord here is talking about, in this context, if your brother, if your neighbor uh, trespasses against you, there has been a clear, willful violation against you. If thy brother trespass against thee, uh, what should you do? Number one, rebuke him. Now, if you were in the last hour uh, on Sunday morning uh, last week, Uh, then you know from Hebrews that rebuke is a particular uh, step in disciplinary action, whether it's God's action or a parent's action. And in this case, it would be the action of a believer. A believer has to be willing to bring the word of God, to bring the truth of God to the attention of the sinful violator. If someone has sinned against you, what should you do? Number one, tell them. Tell them of their sin against you and raise the standard of God's word in relationship to that. In other words, make sure it is a true sin. 
as God's word calls sin. If your brother trespasses against you, step number one, rebuke him. Now, I don't want to take too much liberty here, but I just want to say that it is interesting to note what the Bible does say and what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say, call your neighbor. doesn't say, tell your mother. doesn't say, call your pastor. doesn't say, find a missionary. doesn't say, uh, if your brother sins against you, uh, post it on Facebook. It, it doesn't say any of those things. It says, it says, if you are sinfully violated by another, rebuke them. Step number one, rebuke them. And now notice this, and if he repent. What's repentance? He turns. He says, you're right. God's word is right. The truth is the truth. I violated you. I repent of my sin. I confess it is sin before God. I say to you, I'm sorry. What should you do then? Forgive him. See the steps? There's four of them there. There's four of them there. There's four of them there. Four steps in horizontal forgiveness. The four steps are offense, confrontation, repentance, and forgiveness. These should not be uh, uh, foreign uh, steps uh, commonly taken in the life of every husband here, every wife here. These should not be foreign steps in the life of every parent here or the life of any believer here. It's impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. Confrontation, rebuke, the raising of the standard of the word of God. Secondly, repentance or not. You can't repent for another. Only the person who is sinfully violated can repent. And if they repent, well then, forgive them. Forgive them. What a process. And what a, an amazing thing to recognize of how little that practice is followed even among the people of God. And so we add to the types of forgiveness that are recognized in the Bible, we add, as it were, the teachings of the Bible concerning forgiveness. And now, finally this morning, we want to consider the plain reading of the text once again in light of the things that we have now reviewed. Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. What does that say? What does that contingency teach us? It teaches us that God is serious about the forgiveness that he's granted to us. 
And God is serious about the forgiveness he then wants us to grant. And that if we harbor bitterness and revenge against one who has offended us without rebuke, without opportunity of forgiveness, if we fail to extend forgiveness to others when they desire to be right with God and you, then we have a problem with God. There are men here today that honestly do not have a problem with their wives. Their wives have a problem with God. There are women here today who honestly do not just have a problem with their husbands, but their husbands have a problem with God. And of course, we could continue to make some applications from the top to the bottom. We do not lovingly parent our children by granting them a blanket release from all their sinful actions and attitudes, regardless of their sinful actions and attitudes. We do not lovingly live as brothers and sisters in Christ when we allow sin to harm the family without holding each other accountable. We as God's family must never be unwilling to love those who have harmed us and to grant forgiveness to those that have repented of the wrong that they have done. We who call upon God as our Father cannot ignore the relational lines between us. God is, in fact, withholding from some of his children because of the fact that they have violated their brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the ways to violate the brethren is to fail to forgive the brethren when they are repentant. Food and other physical necessities are to be brought to the attention of God day after day after day in prayer, regardless of how big your freezer. And forgiveness is likewise a daily necessity in your life and mine, both to gain, by means of confession, freshness, relational currency with God, but also to extend that relational freshness, that relational currency to others. And when we live that way, we honor God the Father, and we follow the instructions of God the Son. And indeed, we pray in concert with the God, the Spirit within us, knowing that only by his enabling power can we live righteously here and now. Because we know that it's not with lips alone that we praise the Savior, but that indeed the way that we live our lives either commends or taints 
the blessed name of the Savior. We who would praise the Savior, we who know him, we who would gladly render to him all we are and have, must be very conscious about our lips and very conscious about our lives. May this preacher's life and may the lives that constitute this local congregation glorify God and bring praise and honor to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us then this morning to be a responsive people to the revelation of thy word. To consider the blessedness of relationship with Jesus Christ. To honor him by lip and by life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.